With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Episode 3 of the Nothing But Nylon podcast. Uh, this is the Nylon Calculus podcast. Um, joining us today is Max Shemansky. Uh, Max is a writer for Nylon Calculus and a uh, former member of the basketball analytics team for Davidson University. Uh, you can follow Max on Twitter at, at shymax, that's S-C-H-I. M-A-X. Uh, Max, welcome. Thanks for having me, Kevin. This is the first time I've ever done anything like this, so I'm really excited to do this. Uh, um, hopefully I don't make too big a fool of myself. <laughs> well, uh, I'm, I'm sure you'll be fine. Generally, uh, the foolishness on the, on the podcast comes from me, so <laughs> we'll see how it goes. Um, so just to, to kick things off... Um, how long have you been into basketball and like sort sort of have you you're a lifelong fan or did you get into it uh, relatively late or um sort of what was your i guess origin story in in being a basketball fan um i i get into basketball i've been into basketball since i was a little kid um grew up in the madison wisconsin area um so grew up a huge like wisconsin badgers fan followed a lot of the early 2000s uh, Badgers teams, you know, like a young Devin Harris, and uh, those those teams were my favorites. Um, and then I followed the Bucks a little bit when I was younger, and then as I got a little older, kind of went away from it. And then as I got towards the older end of high school and college, got back to the NBA, and now follow uh, mostly the Bucks and the Warriors. Given that I went to Davidson College, and that's where Steph Curry's from. Uh, um, and then also I interned with the Hornets um, this past spring, and so got to kind of see the uh, see the inner workings of that franchise uh, run by the great one Michael Jordan. Uh, yeah, that's uh, that's pretty cool. Uh, so it's Davidson College. I think I might have said Davidson University, but I, I guess it's Davidson College. Uh, yeah, my, a lot my, of people bad. get that one messed up. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's it's really cool. You've had a, a lot of um, interesting experiences. Uh, so I know that you're a, a, a swimmer and a, and a pretty good one, um, and you swam for, for Davidson. Are, are there analytics for swimming, like just beyond your, your times, or, or is that kind of the extent of it? Uh, um, there isn't that much that's been developed. 
Um, that's one thing actually at Davidson. Um, it, you know, originally started the whole analytics program there originally started as just an independent study for one student um, who wanted to look at basketball data. And in the, oh, it's got to be, my professor, Dr. Tim Chartier, would have more on this, but it's probably been six or eight years since that started. And now they're doing analytics for probably a dozen sports there, with swimming included as one of them. So is uh, is that uh, an, an endorsement then that, that if you want to do if you're a high school kid and want to do sports analytics that uh, to go to Davidson? <laughs> I would I would say that they've uh, they've got a pretty good program going there and it's only getting better by the day. You know when I was there I was one of the older the older guys doing it. Most of the people there were freshmen and sophomores doing it as I was doing it during my senior year and I could not, not believe how how you know how smart these these kids were and i thought you know this is going to be a really strong program for long long after i'm here um so yeah i i would i would 100 percent endorse that program and um dr chartier has done a really great job of not only coming up with analytics for college teams but he's really into um developing analytics for high school and even like middle and elementary school kids. He's really pushing a, a program to try and get those kids involved as early as possible because it's a really fun way to learn math. Yeah. I was going to say that that is, um, I, I know, um, in the, uh, nylon, uh, email thread and, and also in the general, uh, hardwood paroxysm, uh, tree, there are a lot of, uh, teachers and former teachers, um, yeah, Ian Levy, uh, the guy that sort of created what, what has become the nylon calculus was, was a teacher at one point. And I know that, uh, a lot of teachers find that that's a, it's a useful way to, to get kids into math. And, uh, I, I certainly find, um, learning about statistical concepts a lot more interesting, uh, through a, a basketball perspective or even, you know, any other sport than uh, sort of a dry example of, I don't know, census data or something like that. <laughs> uh, um, so, so it's, it's definitely, definitely, I think, a, a, a good way to, to go about it. Um, analytics for, for middle school and elementary school kids uh, in their particular leagues sounds pretty intense, but intense in like probably the, the best kind of way. Um, yes. So w when you were doing work for the, for the basketball team, uh, you know, without giving anything away or, or sort of, uh, getting yourself in trouble for giving away any kind of secrets, what, what were the, like the general sorts of things that the, that the basketball team was interested in, in learning about? Um, I think it was more of, I think it actually starts on, on our end or it starts really just a conversation about, about basketball really. And when they say, you know, we're we're looking for some some way to do this, or we'll say, "Have you guys ever thought about maybe looking at this?" And then we'll just start spitballing back and forth, and all of a sudden we'll have something, and, and yeah, we'll just kind of run with it and and see where it goes. Um, so, but I mean, just the day to day stuff, we'll do um, we'll do like scouting reports and. Uh, well, I think there was another there was another kind of section that I was more in that was more of we called it R and D, um, and that was just kind of looking at you know maybe metrics or new ways to kind of take data and um, use it to describe things that maybe 
people haven't really thought of yet in in the college game or um, we haven't thought about the team level yet uh, um, so we had a, a real diverse group of guys working on a whole bunch of projects so it sounds like to some extent uh, that the um, the dial that it was much more of a, of a dialogue in terms of how projects were developed or, or ideas for you guys to dive into um so you you might have an idea and then suggest it and say is that something you'd be interested in rather than like it just being kind of directed by the basketball team saying hey like can you look into this for us and like do the numbers on it right and we and we had to kind of be you know be wary of things such as like we would we would say something you know would this be helpful to you guys and it was it's always up to them if they thought that was going to be something they could use or not. And so that was our big thing was that we wanted to be able to, if we were going to give them information, give them things that were of use to them. Um, and, and I think that was the biggest thing that we tried to focus on was, you know, it's, it's fun to do a lot of these investigations into data and, and, and you know, college, NBA. But if they weren't going to be able to use it or if they were more focused on other things, then we didn't really want to put our time into something that they weren't going to be able to use. Yeah, that that makes total sense. And again, I don't want to uh, don't want to get you uh, into into any kind of uh, trouble or anything. But uh, I know teams can be kind of um, uh, they secretive about about things. Um, but uh, so you mentioned that you that you interned with the the Hornets. Um, did you yes, find? Yep. Did you find, or, or did you find with them that they that it was similar in the sense that like the, the that your work was kind of a conversation back and forth, or was it more directed by the coaching staff in terms of like, hey, we want you to go look at this, or was it like, hey, we're thinking about doing this, and then uh, essentially pursuing it from there? Um, I would say it, it was a little bit more uh, um, kind of. Ad hoc on the fly, go with the flow, kind of in college, at least um, at Davidson, just because, uh, um, we, you know, we're always adding new things. And so, you know, we didn't really, we weren't always like going by the book, you know, things that worked, you know, some of the scouting reports with advanced stats and whatnot, those things they liked and they liked to have around. And so those would stay. And then anything that we did that they enjoyed, um, you know, we did some shot charting stuff too. We added some some kind of more detail to those as, as they've gone on. Um, those are another thing that kind of stuck around. And so really we were still, it's still growing as a, as an analytics program at Davidson while in Charlotte, I, I think there's much more. And I would guess as a, at a lot of NBA teams now that it, the, the analytics movement has gone far enough. I'm sure, that, I'm sure it's always still growing, but there's a lot more of a sense. I, at least to me, it felt like, of things that are expected and there's a little bit more of a system um, of the way of doing things. And now it's just more of using those systems and maybe updating those systems to make better decisions. Yeah, that, that makes, that makes a lot of sense. So for any, for anybody that's in college or, or soon to be in college uh, that, that's listening, how did you go about getting involved w- with the, the basketball team uh, the, and, and specifically working on the, the analytics with them? Well, uh, at first it was actually, it's actually a lot of, uh, it was originally a lot of math major guys. Now we've got, I mean, 
not even just econ and math, but all, a whole range of even non-math related majors. But coming to college, I really enjoyed stats and I really enjoyed basketball, but I didn't really ever consider putting them together. Um, and so for the first two years or so, I didn't, I, you know, I would only kind of do some, a little bit of research on my own, not, not really doing much. And then about halfway through my junior year, which I mean, I should have done this a long time before that. This was, it was a great experience. Um, I reached out to one of the guys who he started a blog by himself as a, um, as an independent study, uh, called Davidson analytics. And that was more of, uh, an attempt to capture analytics for, you know, sports at Davidson. And then also an outlet for Davidson students to be able to publish, um, their you know, any, any analysis for any sports that they did personally. Um, then I reached out to him and I just said, you know, how many people do you have working on this blog? Is there any way that I could help? Um, and he was abroad at the time, so he didn't really have anybody running it, but he just said, you know, when I get back, uh, I'm in the spring, come, come chat with me and, and we'll see what we can do. Um, and so I spoke to him a couple of times and I started working on, um, just some, you know, some real simple analysis of, of a few things in the NBA. Um, and then one of my swim teammates, actually, um, he was doing work with Professor Chartier, um, who, who runs the basketball analytics and now the whole analytics um, program there. And he was doing uh, fantasy football um, research. Uh, he was a big, you know, so it wasn't just limited to sports there, but he was, you know, other like fantasy sports too. He was doing that. He's really big into fantasy football. Um, and I said to him, I said, if Char- you know, if Dr. Chartier needs any help with anything at all, like I- I'll have, I'll have some extra time this year. Just let him know and I can help him with whatever he needs. Uh, um, and so sure enough that day, actually, when he went to go talk to him, um, I had I had then published some things for Nylon uh, um, a couple months before, and Dr. Chartier had gotten an email from uh, um, Jason Rosenfeld, the director of analytics at the NBA, and he, he they had they had previously met and known each other. Um, Jason had had worked in Charlotte, and so they had they had met before. And Jason sent an email to Dr. Chartier and said, "Who is this kid at, at Davidson? Like, to, you know, I need to know what kind of work he's doing with you." And Dr. Chartier said, I have no idea who this, who this guy is, who, who this Max Chemansky kid is. Um, and so, you know, that same day, my, my teammate went and talked to him about me. And, and he said, oh, oh, really? Uh, well, yeah, I have him come talk to me. Um, and so I, I went and talked to him and he told me uh, that he had you know, gotten an email from, uh, he didn't say who it was at the time, but he'd left the impression that it was someone fairly significant. Um, and, and so from there, he just told me about the work that the basketball guys were doing. And at that time, there were probably 10 of us. And by the time I left in a year, there were probably 15 or 20. And, and I mean, the, it's only growing. Um, and so that, that was kind of how, you know, once I finally got connected with Dr. Chartier, um, I kind of put him in. I also kind of connected him with Seth. Um, Seth Partnow. Uh, um, and from there, I kind of posted things um, running both on, on the Davidson kind of blog and a couple of things on Nylon as well. And then Dr. Chartier and I and, I and Seth had a nice Skype chat. And so it was, 
it was really it was actually it was really funny how it how it all worked out. Um, but I'm really glad it worked out the way it did. Yeah, it's, it seems like it was pretty uh, fortuitous, and uh, given how it all kind of fell together all in one day, it makes it seem almost faded. It was um, yeah, it was <laughs> it was wild. Um, well, so you, you mentioned that, uh, some of the writing you had done for Nylon helped you with the, um, I, I think initially you had done some freelance pieces, right? Like it, before you were actually on, on staff, you, you were, you wrote a few things. Um, but there, um, is that, is that, were those pieces you were referring to the, the freelance stuff that you had done? Yes. Before, yes. But that's that summer before that year, um, I had saw that nylon asked for or was asking for, for submissions um and so I, I did a little analysis and sent it to seth and just said hey you know i just want to know what you guys think of this um you don't have to run it or anything but i just if you have any comments or you know some you know some some things to, to change to edit or ways that I, it could be better um let me know and i'd you know i'd love to hear what you have to think um and seth emailed me back and said um now let's just run it. We'll run it on Friday. I really like it. Um, and he's, so from there, um, I did maybe one more after that. Um, and then school started and so it slowed down a little bit, but, um, yeah, those were the, those, I think I had one or two freelance pieces before, um, I started doing that at Davidson. Yeah. So I, I looked back at some of your freelance stuff, uh, before we, we got on the chat and I also, the, um, it, it kind of flows together with some of the stuff that you've written about recently. And uh, a lot of it is focused on the NBA sort of labor market and player valuation in, in dollars. Um, is, is there a reason specifically that that interests you so much? Or is it just kind of, uh, I guess, I guess I'll, I'll not try to guess the answer and I'll just let you answer. <laughs> what about that is, is so interesting to you? Um. I've always been, I've always just been fascinated, especially within the last few years of, and given the the circumstances of the NBA and the and the rising salary cap and and whatnot, um, I've I'm so fascinated with the kinds of deals that players get and kind of the the sentiments around who got a good deal, who got a bad deal, why did so and so get this deal, why did you know, why did this guy get this when this guy is making this, even though player A is a better player than player B. Um, and I think a lot of that is just from, I really like applied math. Um, and that's one great application, at least for me, that's, that's really interesting. Um, that gets me excited to, to do analysis. Um, and I'm really, I'm really interested, um, in, in doing, you know, work that would apply to the front office. Um, now being being someone who's you know now interned at, at Charlotte and 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 seeing how the intricacies of an NBA front office works, uh, there's no doubt in my mind that be something I would could see myself doing. Yeah, that makes total sense. Especially you know, it sounds like you have aspirations of of working you know for a team in a in a front office capacity. So understanding the the labor market is kind of uh, a one of the primary functions <laughs> that, that an analytics yes. department can <laughs> s- sort of help with um, I remember the, the you had a, a you had a piece um, I think it ran in 2015 uh, I'm not exactly sure when in 2015 I think it was relatively soon after 
um, free agency, uh, basically kind of like looking at who was a bargain, who was a bad deal, um, based on like a, a pretty like, um, it, it was like a, a simple model of uh, player value, but it explained like 80% of the, uh, the variation in salary based on just a few variables. Um, I think it was like usage, uh, usage and like win shares and, and field goals and age. Yeah. Um, and I don't know, something like that. There's, I mean, there's a little bit of overlap in there. Um, so that, that, you know, R squared value might be a little bit inflated, but, yeah. um, I was actually really surprised with given, you know, given the, the number of variables, given how well the variation was explained. And that could be just cause the sample size was fairly small. Um, but, but that was, you know, that's one thing I'm running into a little bit with the model I'm working on currently. I'm kind of releasing in pieces on nylon called dollars and cents. Yeah. So I was going to say the the thing that you, the, that first piece kind of reminded me a, a bit of um, the, another thing that, that Nick Cristifo had written about sort of objective draft grades and his whole sort of philosophy around it being essentially that we all have these like gut instinct uh, feelings or, or grades that are obviously based on some sort of mental model um, of you know what value is and that's informed somewhat by um, actual numbers but like putting it more into a more objective um, framework it, I think was his goal with that and I, I thought that that was like a really good example of a very similar thing for for the labor market of like everybody wants to do these sort of like uh, free agency grades um, and a lot of it is like very subjective um, and like there's definitely yeah uh, so, so I thought that definitely. that was a, a, definitely a, when you talk about applied uh, math that's a definitely a, a cool application and a way to be a little bit more um, maybe rigorous in how you're thinking about things. Yeah, definitely. I, I think, um, and, you know, that that's the biggest thing is that everybody wants to have that great signing and everybody wants to get, get the bargain on this guy. But it, at some point, and this is one of those things that's so hard to measure statistically is that oftentimes in an auction market, such as, I mean, you know, kind of similar to the NBA for agencies. Sometimes you have to overpay for good players, and that's just that's just the way that things are. If you want to, if you want to secure their services, um, you know, you gotta you gotta separate yourself some way, and that's one way to do it. Um, that was one thing in the last post that I had um, about, about kind of um, player role and value in player role. Uh, um, I, I didn't want to necessarily penalize teams for overpaying quality players um, just because uh, you know a bad kind of like a five percent overpay for LeBron is a lot different than a five percent overplay for a guy on the end of the bench yeah so that actually that, that leads into a nicely into the discussion that I wanted to get into a little bit about your this sort of role adjusted player value model that, that you put together Um I mean, I guess just to, to start things off, um, could you could you describe a little bit uh, for the audience, maybe if they haven't had a chance to read your piece yet, what the how the model functions and uh, you know what goes into it essentially? Yeah, so this it's the first of um, three uh, three models 
um, that will be kind of weighted and, and kind of blended together as, as one. Um, and, and this one, each of the models spits out a kind of a player value in percentage of the cap. I wanted to do percentage of the cap so that you could more often than not compare across seasons um, in years that the cap was the same. Um, I still did include cap level in, in the analysis just to kind of control for as the cap rises, you have more money to spend. Um, the guys in that season are obviously probably going to get a little bit more inflated deals as we've, as we've seen. Um, and so with that first model, uh, um, it does spit out a contract value, but I wanted to, in each of the three models, I wanted to display them in a way different than just dollars because otherwise it's just three models kind of telling you the same thing with just different things put into them, different, different ways to kind of have them spit out a final value. Um, and so the way I wanted to display that first model, um, I took kind of the ratio of the player's salary, so their ex expected salary over their actual salary um and then so you have a ratio there and then a player's uh vorp value over replacement player um is divided by this uh value um and so some some good players who are underpaid um the goal for that is to have their value rise and you know players who are overpaid have their have their value you know their their vorp fall um and so if you already have a really high VORP and you're overpaid, it's going to fall, but it's probably not going to bring you, you know, bring you down into the range of a bad player, essentially, unless you're, you know, unless you're, you know, Kobe and you're not playing any games and you're getting paid a, a ton of money, um, then, you know, your value may, may fall a lot, but that was one way to kind of impose upon the model of the idea that Sometimes you have to overpay for a good player, and if you overpay a little bit for a really good player, it's better than overpaying a little bit for a guy who's not going to play at all. Yeah, that, that makes that makes sense. Well, one thing I noticed in the, in the post that uh, kind of jumped out to me, um, and uh, you can get into why this is, I guess, but you mentioned that by the, the look that you were looking at, um, that... LeBron looks like he's a bit was a, a bit overpaid last year, um, mm -hmm. and I found that interesting because uh, you know the conventional wisdom and a very common talking point um, in these kinds of discussions is that like a player like LeBron is um, b due to the salary cap almost always going to be uh, essentially undervalued that he's going to be underpaid always. Um, now, what 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 is it about the 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 player value model that you had there that that suggests that LeBron is um, actually slightly overpaid? Uh, um, well, probably one of the biggest things is that it's based on regular season data. Um, I could somewhere down the line maybe include playoff data, um, but this model is just based on regular season data, and LeBron actually had one of his lower regular season outputs um in it for you know in his career this season um and so that's i think why he kind of took a hit in this model a little bit um why it showed him to be a little bit overpaid um but there are and you know this gets back to the old like oh there are all these things and analytics can't measure heart or can't measure leadership or 
yes, it, it can't. And, and this is one of those few and far between cases where there's a lot of leadership qualities and a lot of intangibles that LeBron brings to the table that's incredibly hard to statistically model. Um, and so even though he's, you know, even though his value has dropped down a little bit, um, his intangibles combined with that regular season, um, his regular season output, um, kind of dropped his value. And, and in the playoffs, he's a completely different monster. It's, it's almost like he can go 75% for most of the regular season and turn it on in the playoffs and reach a level that we only see when he plays in the playoffs. Yeah. So I think that, 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 that makes sense, but it, I mean, LeBron's VORP, even though it was kind of low for him was, was still pretty, pretty good. So is, is part of the sort of him being overpaid, um, a function of the fact that you're accounting for, for role. So like he's a star player and he is paid, uh, now that he's in Cleveland, he is paid sort of the most that he could possibly get. Um, whereas, you know, before, like when he was in, um, Miami that he, he, you know, he took that pay cut or, or whatever, and he was obviously even more productive. Um, is that also kind of driving it to, to suggest that he's, I guess, slightly um, overpaid uh, other than like beyond the fact that he's less productive than he in the regular season than he has been. Um, is the role adjustment playing, playing a part there? I would, I would certainly agree with that. Um, and the model doesn't pinpoint roles perfectly, um, but I would think it does a pretty good job uh, um, with, especially with someone like LeBron. He might be in the star, he might be, be in the star grouping or the star cluster but and it both, both in Miami and in Cleveland when you're playing with multiple other all-stars multiple other guys who are so incredibly talented that's going to affect your output in some way uh, maybe not necessarily your advanced percentage stats like assist percentage and rebound percentage and whatnot but it's still going to affect your role in some way and all three of those guys will affect each other um and I think that's also where he's going to take a hit. Maybe a single star may be better off in the model um, than uh, is like a big three, for example. Yeah, uh, that makes sense. There's there's always sort of the the concern uh, when you put multiple sort of star players together about uh, the, I, I guess the the. There's like an overlap uh, issue in terms of their uh, just raw productivity um, that that you see sometimes, and that happened with LeBron in uh, Miami, and then when he returned to Cleveland, there were, there was some of that. Um, one of the other things that, that kind of jumped out to me about the the role adjusted player value model was um, it looked like Rudy Gobert. Uh, if I was reading the chart right, it looked like Rudy Gobert was the most valuable. Uh, player under sort of that look by the value of his contract um, and and his role and sort of how productive he is. Um, I think that is another one that kind of uh, bucks the conventional wisdom a little bit. I, I know most people, when you hear them talk about it, say the best contract in the league is, you know, Stephen Curry, uh, you know, on his, I think it's like $11 million a year uh, deal. Right. Uh, um, do you think that, that, I guess, what is the, 
um, the reasoning for Gobert being uh, under this view being even more valuable than than say Steph. Um, well, one thing I tried to account for in the model, which is incredibly difficult, is defense. Uh, um, and, and you know, as as we've heard um, in just last episode, Andrew Johnson talked about it. It's so so incredibly difficult to try and use use defense to you know in use defense in models and just come up with good you know defensive metrics um and so i think that's one place where gobert really dwarfs um steph um and that's not to say i mean i'm one of the big uh, proponents of steph being an incredibly great defender even though he's you know kind of thin and not not that big but the guy has i mean he has incredible defensive instincts he has great hands yeah, I just that's one of like my pet peeves is like Steph Curry isn't a good defender. That's that's silly. Um, but but in terms of just positional and, and role value, um, Rudy Gobert is is a is a very good defensive player at least in terms of his defensive metrics. Um, and then and on top of that, he's he's fairly efficient um, as well at least in terms of you know percentage wise stats, which is what the model is kind of based around. Um, especially you know things like like block percentage and um like rebounding and so i th- think those things are where he kind of dwarfs steph um certainly i know field goals was was part of the model too but the fact that he just completely outweighs a lot of people in the model based on defense um i think that's what really brings up his value and the same with a lot of other defensive players in the model paul Millsap or good defensive players paul Millsap, trey mon green um, guys that we don't we don't often see um, get big paychecks at least historically um, now are starting to a little bit. Kawhi is a fantastic defender. He's you know he's got the max. Um, you know Draymond just got a brand new big deal. Um, Millsap just got paid, and so I pondered to myself actually in the precursor post to um, to the first model of is it that GMs are starting to finally kind of value defense a little bit more than they previous ha- previously have or is it just because these players offensive skills have also kind of caught up with their defensive skills like um and that or maybe they've just been finally noticed yeah that's that's an interesting uh, aspect of it, it with, with gobert he makes even less than steph right like is that another thing that that sort of drives his like valuation in, in terms of that model in terms of him i guess being kind of even more of a bargain uh yes definitely yeah definitely that's uh that's that's definitely one of his and as you know as the cap increases um you know his his salary of like i think he got this past year got paid like just under like 1.2 or, or something something ridiculous um that at you know, I think as the cap increases, that only makes him more and more valuable. Yeah, because he was like a, a mid first rounder, I think. Like, not even I don't even think he was a lottery pick. I think he was like slightly outside of the lottery pick, which gets into like just how important it is to draft well. <laughs> because if if you hit yeah, on exactly. those, you, you get all all the surplus value. So so yeah, I think he was a. I think he was the end of the first rounder, but yeah, I mean, those when you hit on the end of the first round, second round at all, that's I mean, yeah, so he even, bargain even bigger there. bargain than than I was remembering. Um, 
so you mentioned actually the discussion that I had with, with Andrew from the last episode, and I kind of wanted to, to pick your brain about that a little bit. Um, so his post that he had written um, about sort of how much we can explain based on what we know about individual player defense um, is, you know, statistically significantly lower uh, than what we can say about offense. And we had sort of a philosophical discussion around, like, whether we'd ever be able to um, really say that defense was, uh, I guess, that you could pinpoint how valuable an ind- any individual person was to a defense because it it is more of a, a group activity. Um, and it does seem to be, that, be the case that the offense actually controls the result a lot more than the defense. Um, and based on some stuff that uh, I guess Ken, Ken Palm had written and then just Andrew's own research. Um, so y- this is all of a kind of a long way to say that you, you mentioned in your first dollars and cents piece that um, from uh, Mika Honkaselo, I, I hope I said his last name right, um, he, he wrote about um, basically that defense is paid about 40% less than offense of comparable impact. And I was just curious your thoughts on whether or not that's um, just a function of us not being able to measure it that well or if it's actually the case that, no, like really offense should be paid more because it's more portable and it's more, it's more reliable that you can just grab a guy and his offense will translate, whereas defense – you know, it's really about fit and how how well he, he can master a scheme and that that sort of thing. Yeah, I think I think that's one of those things that I've I've wrestled with before. I think where I'm at at least right now in, in terms of thought on defense is that I think top end defenders are incredibly valuable, um, especially when you have talents like. LeBron or or KD or you know guys that can switch and play multiple uh, positions on the wing. You need flexible elite defenders on the wing to be able to do that. Um, and I think that's just so much more valuable now than it's ever been um, in in the history of basketball. Um, and so I think those guys are seeing their value um, increase. Um, I don't know about your you just your normal above average defenders. Um, I don't know if if they're seeing quite the same increase in their value uh, uh, just because of where we are right now in in kind of basketball evolution if you will um but yeah i i i'm i I would hope that that defense would eventually be able to be paid equally as offense i just don't know if you're ever gonna be able to come up with anything that can explain that that's that's widely used um you know, maybe on little things, you know, maybe with, with more tracking data, we, you know, eventually thing stats metrics will be developed um, for certain defensive measures. Um, but a lot of defense is really just athleticism um, and, and footwork. And a lot of it, I mean, you can see this in the playoffs, a lot of it is effort. Um, and with things such as as variable as that, it's always going to be difficult to measure um defense in that sense yeah i think that the that the effort thing is 
um, something that like is common commonly mentioned as being a big part of defense, and I think I, I agree, but I always put a caveat on that of that it's got to be effort that is directed in the in the right right direction. So like smart effort, I guess uh, I think is, is right, incredibly right. important because. Um, I just always flash back to uh, the last few seasons that um, Andres Nocioni was playing for the the, the Bulls, uh, who right. are the team I follow the most closely. <laughs> and uh, you know, Nocioni was worked very very hard on defense, but he was all over the place and uh, chased the ball a lot. And he he was just kind of a disaster on defense. And it wasn't for a lack of effort; it was just like. Uh, you know, he was, he wasn't really playing smart. Um, and, and so I think that's like the, I guess the, the, the piece that has to go with the effort is, you know, you have to have the athleticism, you have to have the effort and then you have to have the smart. So it's like those three things together are, are, um, are really, I think pretty hard to find, um, you know, on a consistent basis, but, uh, apparently, um, the warriors have figured out some magic to, to find it, <laughs> find it all the time. Um, that, that's right. And that, that whole system is just, I mean, is it, it, Steve Kerr has, has done such a great job with, with the whole defensive system there. And, you know, it's a copycat league. I'm, I'm sure a lot of people are going to be rotating in and following that. You know, one thing I'm really excited for the league about that actually is that now the defense is kind of, the metrics are starting to kind of appear a little bit, you know, with a little bit more tracking. I'm, I'm going to bet some, some in-house teams have some ways to kind of measure this a little bit more. Uh, I'm, I'm kind of excited with the hustle stats um, that have been used in, in summer league. I don't know what's actually going to come about them, but I, I almost think of that as like a basketball special teams, if you will, your screen assists. I mean, closeouts could technically be seen as defense, but kind of things that, don't really fall into either side uh, necessarily uh, that can be measured. Yeah, I mean, like uh, anything that's like a, a 50-50 uh, situation where there's a loose ball is kind of by definition neither offense or defense. It's, it's because the ball is not possessed by by anybody at, at that moment. So that, that does become sort of analogous to a football special teams, I guess. Um, the one of the uh, the other things that I was thinking about when you were when we were having the discussion around defense is just kind of because um, you were talking about Steve Kerr and the system that they've put into place. Now I was actually thinking about um, two different coaches, but uh, they are very similar, and I think they actually are of the same coaching tree. Is you know you're uh, the the coach you just worked with uh, down in Charlotte. Um, uh, Steve Clifford and Tom Thibodeau, and you know we got into discussing uh, the importance of athleticism, effort, and smarts. And I think that the the thing that Thibodeau and Clifford both seem to do so well is um, if a t- player has athletic limitations, they manage to overcome that by uh, with their schemes. But then the other thing that they do, they both seem to do incredibly well, is um, they are sticklers about effort. So if you're not competing on the defensive end from an effort perspective, you get sat down and they're so, uh, they're so precise about their drilling of guys in terms of, 
um, where their footwork needs to be, where they need to be on the floor. And it, the precision of that is essentially how you direct that effort. Um, and that, that's one of the things like, I think like it's a, it's kind of a conventional wisdom thing, but I, I actually think it might be, uh, you know, conventional wisdom for good reason that I think coaches seem to have more influence on, um, at least just from my own subjective thought process on it. Uh, they seem to have the more, more influence on defense. Uh, that'd be an interesting thing for, to be, to be studied. I, I think it'd be tough to sort of isolate a coach's influence, but um, it'd be a, a cool thing to sort of to sort of see. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. I've you know I've, I've heard some, some some studies measure coaches' influence as much as like another all star. I don't know if that's a hundred percent true, but I mean uh, it could be up to that maybe um, depending on who the coach is. But yes, and I think I agree with that. In order to be a good defensive coach, in order to have players fit into the scheme and, and play well within the scheme, it's, it's effort and it's discipline, um, which are I mean, two of the main qualities of defense. If you have the athleticism and you have discipline and you put forth the effort, there's, I mean, it's, it's pretty hard to fail as a, as a defensive player. You know, the discipline kind of goes into playing smart defense, if you will, um, being in the right place, you know, understanding certain players' tendencies, um, I think that the, the discipline involved in that goes into being a, a smart defender. For sure. Um, so I just want to circle back a little bit to the, the role adjusted value and, and sort of the, <laughs> your dollars and cents posts. Um, I'm curious, are there particular teams that you, you've noticed have done a just looking at, cause I know you've only like the data that you're looking at is just from this current uh, collective bargaining agreement. But are there particular teams that you've noticed have done a better job than others at consistently getting good good role adjusted value from their from their contracts? Um, mostly, the uh, Cavaliers have done a great job, uh, um, at least recently, and that's probably it has to do somewhat with LeBron. Um, just I think I mean having him out there is like having another coach on the floor. Everybody is every even role players. I think just perform so much better with him or with him around just because he, he makes sure he, they're in the right spots and he can get them the ball when they are in the right spots. Um, and then obviously the uh, San Antonio Spurs as well. Uh, um, they've done a really good job, just efficiency. And that's a lot of the guys just because like, you know, Timmy D has taken, has taken a pay cut multiple times and so has Manu and, you know, th- those kinds of things really kind of, show through kind of on, on analyses kind of like this where players take pay cuts. Um, but they're still, you know, they're still of value of a, you know, maybe mid salary to almost max player when they're getting paid a fraction of that. Yeah. It certainly, certainly helps to, to whether that's through, whether you want to say that's through culture or just, being lucky in the sense of having a guy like a Tim Duncan that, that doesn't, that places a much higher value uh, or much higher utility on, on being in the same place and, and his relationship with Popovich or whether you, you know, don't say it's luck and you say, well, they, they've established that relationship and that's something they've really cultivated. Um, however you want to play it, like there's, it's very hard to imagine um other teams maybe being able to replicate something like that, but 
um, or, or replicating uh, LeBron, short, short of cloning LeBron. I don't know that we're, we're going <laughs> to <Right>. replicate him. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's, it's tough out there being a GM, I guess. <laughs> yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, next part of this model is, is next will be um, kind of by position. So first adjusted for a role, next will be by position. Um, I think the way that data will probably be displayed is I'm going to take the average for each position um, and show kind of the deviation um, from the mean, you know, expected salary in each position. Um, and then the final part will be kind of similarities uh, between, you know, similar players. So similar values um, among similar players to a specific player. And then um, that value will kind of get uh, pumped into the model and all will kind of get blended together to come out with uh, uh, one value for the player. And that'll be the, uh, the final model. That's, that's uh, I'm looking forward to, to seeing the rest of the series. <laughs> Uh, but before we uh, we close out, I wanted to uh, to he he's your Twitter avatar, so I, I have to ask a question about Giannis. Mm. Um, okay. Over over under for for his box plus minus next year, three three and a half. Do you have it over or under? I mean, this it might be the homer in me, but I'm going to say. I'm going to say over. Um, yeah, I just, optimism. <laughs> I just, I just feel like with the way he's he's going, I I, I think he's, he's really committed um, to to becoming you know a, a real star in the league, and you know I, I think with the scheme with him handling the ball, I think that's somewhere where he could really flourish. Um, yeah, as we saw kind of near the end of the season, I know it's a small small sample size, um, but he. Yeah, I guess that's half of me, you know, the optimistic side of me just in terms of unbiased and then the other half of kind of the home we're pushing through saying, oh, yeah, they're going to they're all going to be great. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think um, I, I'm really hoping that the signing of of uh, Delhi does not mean that they're going to take the ball out of Giannis's hands. I, I really uh, hope that that it, what it really means is that Delhi is going to kind of play the. Uh, uh, the role that he played when LeBron was handling the ball when he was in Cleveland, and and also kind of like the the Patrick Beverly to James Harden role in in the sense of you know give your big wing guy that can dribble the ball and and have the the point guard play defense and, and kind of spot up, um, uh, also known as the uh, John Paxson role from from the uh, teams when Pippen was kind of like <laughs> the de facto point guard. Um, That's right. Uh, yeah, I I really hope they keep the ball in in Giannis's hands, and hopefully uh, our uh, our buddy Seth uh, Partno um, <laughs> in the uh, in the Milwaukee front office is, is uh, you know relaying our uh, our sentiments. <laughs> That's right. I'll, I'll have to. They're coming to. Uh, they'll be in Madison for training camp. I'll have to see if I can't snag uh, snag Seth. Um, and Mike Clutterbuck, see if uh, see if I can't get any inside info. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, or, or maybe I, ideally you want to snag Jason Kidd and be like, "Hey, make sure Giannis stays to the point That's guard." Right. <laughs> Cause, That's right. Because I, I imagine J.K. will have the the largest say in in determining uh, determining that. Yes, the point guard whisperer. <laughs> All right. Even well, ma- when you're not Giannis. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The. It, it, 
Giannis, uh, he has so much potential. I, I, I am looking forward to, to his season. Um, I really hope that the Bucks make the playoffs, honestly, and that's not just because uh, I like Mike Clutterbuck and, you know, obviously <laughs> not, now uh, the, we have the nylon connection of having Seth on, on staff, but, um, you know, I, I, I just think that they're a fun team and I, I would like to see them uh, on national TV, like, for at least uh, a seven-game series. Yes, definitely. And that's probably heresy for me to say as a Bulls fan, but <laughs> the, the, the Bulls had a horrible offseason, and, and I don't expect them to make the playoffs. So I'm rooting for fun instead. <laughs> fun is always good. Yeah. All right, Maxwell, uh, I think that's a, that's about it. But uh, I just want to remind everybody to follow Max on Twitter, at ShyMax. And, uh, again, that's S. C H I M A X, um, and look out for the rest of his posts in the Dollar and Cents series. It's been really good. If you haven't read uh, the first two posts, then you should definitely go do that. Um, Max, do you have uh, anything else that you wanted to to say before we go? Uh, um, posts three and four should be out soon um, for the series. Uh, um, thanks for having me on. This was a, this was a blast. Um, first time I'm. Um, I'll have to come back for more. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I think uh, I think you know. I'm sure. I'm expecting uh, that that you'll write more for the site, and at the very least, uh, come March Madness time, I'll have to have you on to to discuss your your March Madness model that you put together uh, while at Davidson. Yeah, I'll have to. I'll have to update that one and um, come out with the second version of those those picks this year. That's a that's a fun hobby of mine. Jumping over to the college side. Yeah, definitely. All right, Maxwell, uh, like I said, great having you on, and uh, we'll talk soon. Yep. Thanks, Kevin. Thanks. Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. <gasps> no, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.